I'm Dylan Curtis, and this is the I'm Wondering Podcast. Well, hey, everybody. I uh, hope you're doing well on this wonderful, well, it's a Thursday for me, I guess, um, <laughs> Friday for you. Um, I am flying solo today, which will be maybe fun, maybe not. We will see. Um, but yeah, yeah, everyone was pretty busy, so didn't really get anyone to join me. Um, and sorry, it's just going to be a lot of me. Hope you're okay with that. Um, but we are going to talk about something very interesting today. We're going to talk about, is the end near? A lot of opinions on this. I've heard a lot of people say a lot of things about it. Uh, so we're going to look at what the Bible has to say. Uh, then we'll talk about um, some popular views around this. Uh, and then, you know, what I personally believe I'll share with all of you. Um, and then where does this leave us? Um, what, what do we need to get away from this conversation? So that is what we are going to do today. Uh, yeah, so we'll take a quick break and then we'll get into it. Yes, we are back. Well, I am back at least, you know, just me. Uh, but we're going to get into this topic because um, it is hotly contested. Is the end near? Is the end nigh? Uh, are we all about to be raptured? Have some of us already been raptured? Are we left behind with Nicolas Cage? Gosh, I really hope not. Um, sorry, Nicolas Cage. I don't want to be left behind with you. Um, so yeah, we're going to start out here. Uh, we're going to talk about what does the Bible say? So let's start with the obvious. Uh, we don't know when the end is coming. We just don't. Jesus himself claimed he didn't know the appointed time, uh, as we see in Matthew 24, 36, which says this, But at the day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Uh, So for all you people out there, if you say you know the day or hour, uh, then the implication is that Jesus lied to us. Um, I'm not okay with that. Uh, I don't know about you. but I think we do need to exercise some humility in this conversation because um, we're clearly told that none of us know. Uh, so it's pretty dangerous for us to go around saying we know or we know someone who knows or uh, what have you. I mean, I've gotten emails from people who claim this is it, this is the end. So I think we really need to be careful and we really need to be humble when we come to this because we aren't in charge. <laughs> God is sovereign, God is in charge, and we don't know the end. Um, so... But with that said, let's talk about some signs of the end. Uh, Good stuff, right? Uh, So we have, of course, um, Jesus speaking earlier in Matthew 24. Uh, The disciples ask him about the end of the age. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 24, 3 through 14. Uh, As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but to see it, but see to it that you are not alarmed. 
Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Verse 9, Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. This is the typical passage, of course, people will use to justify why they think the end is near. Um, they'll say, oh, look, there's these wars and this corruption and um, you know famines and earthquakes, and those are all horrible, terrible things. Um, but I would say, let's look at history, because uh, history shows us that it's, it's not necessarily the worst time to be alive. Um, and we have uh, a few events here I wanted to cover, just some of the major categories. It isn't every single thing in there, um, but just some of the big stuff. Wars, for instance. Uh, so we see in the 12th and 13th century, the Mongol conquests, um, led by, of course, Genghis Khan, uh, which resulted in the death of 60 million people. Uh, and if you were to put that in today's numbers, that's actually about 800 million people. Um, so close to one-seventh or 14% of the world. Um, that's a pretty significant number, a uh, number we have not seen even when we look at World War II, which is where I would say we have you know, a nation rising against nation. World War II was at the lowest 70 million deaths, and at the highest, 85 million deaths. But again, even if you put that in today's numbers, it's nowhere close to uh, the Mongol conquest. Um, so there's that. Um, you know, and then Jesus says you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. Um, according to the Vatican, around 13 Christians are killed per day around the world for their faith. Uh, for comparison, around 15,000 Jews were killed per day at the height of the Holocaust. Um, you know, another thing, Jesus says many will turn away from their faith. <clears throat> Current estimates show that 2.382 billion people, or around 31% of the world's population, identify as Christian. Um, doesn't seem like a lot of people are turning away from their faith. Um, you know, and then he talks about, of course, the gospel will be preached in the whole world. That still hasn't happened. Uh, numbers vary, but on the low end, uh, estimations around 1 billion people have never heard about Jesus. So the mission continues. Uh, so kind of needless to say, if you ask me, um, if you take Matthew 24 as kind of the measurement for the end and rapture and all of those things to occur, uh, I think it's kind of hard to agree that um, this is somehow the worst time in history or it's it's the proof that the end is near because I think we've had much, much terrible uh parts of history. I mean, I didn't even get into the bubonic plague and how that wiped out presumably a third of the known world. Uh, I didn't get into the Irish potato famine. Um, you know, there's just a lot of incidences that show us that comparatively we live in a pretty good situation. Um, even though we do have our own problems, um, and there are more natural disasters that we're aware of than we've ever been before. So there are aspects. Uh, but I think overall, if you take the whole picture uh, and what Jesus was talking about, 
it's just sort of hard to convince me at least that the end is near um, and that it's here. Um, that's just my opinion. Um, but I think another important kind of battleground passage in scripture is from Revelation 20. Uh, and specifically, if you read it literally or figuratively, um, which I personally read it literally, um, this is what Revelation 21 through 10 says. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He sees the dragon, the ancient serpent, that is the devil, uh, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which we were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its marks, its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's, God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them, and the devil, who deceived them, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown." They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So within this passage, we have what's known as the millennium, which is um, the thousand-year period where Christ and the martyrs reign peacefully, reign and rule peacefully over the earth, uh, while the devil is locked away in the abyss, uh, unable to influence any parts of creation or any humans. Uh, And I'm personally convinced that this event is the rapture, includes the rapture, uh, which occurs after the Great Tribulation. And you can, re- you can reference the breaking of seals in Revelation 6 and, and then go into Revelation 7, where it mentions the Great Tribulation. So um, this millennium or period of peace uh, happens after the Great Tribulation, uh, and there's debate over that. So that's why I bring that up. Um, and what about the rapture? Because that's, that's the big buzzword in this, right? The rapture. Um, so I think we see a good explanation of what the rapture looks like in first Thessalonians four fifteen through 17, um, where Paul's talking about this. He says, according to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are not left until the coming of the Lord, who are left until the coming of the Lord will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. So uh, my personal opinion is that Revelation 24 through 5 and this passage, 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 17, are describing the same event. Um, so this is where the rapture actually occurs. And again, we could look at four through five again. I saw thrones on which we were 
were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Um, and then, of course, First Thessalonians talks about how the martyrs have come to life, um, and they're with the Lord now. So that is why I make that connection. Um, so that is the order of events, if you will, if you ask me with the end. The Great Tribulation, then um, Satan being locked away, then the rapture and millennium, and then everything is finished with Satan and the beast and all of them being thrown in the lake of fire forever and ever. Um, so that is where I land on where uh, if the end is near, um, but people want to keep saying that the end is just near. So uh, what are some of the academic views? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. I'm sure you're fascinated by this. Uh, so there are four major views in the academic world. Uh, we have what's called dispensational premillennialism. We have historic premillennialism. We have postmillennialism, and we have amillennialism. Uh, ah, just being an A. It's not like ah, just so everybody knows. So dispensational premillennialism. So sort of the major points with this view uh, are that the Lord will come again and establish the millennial kingdom on earth, which we talked about in Revelation 20. Uh, the church's rapture will happen before the Great Tribulation. Uh, so this is where I disagree. Um, Revelation 20, 1 through 6, should be interpreted literally, not figuratively or symbolically. Uh, for the church will not go through the Great Tribulation. Uh, so again, back to how the church is raptured pre-tribulation. Uh, five, God's work with the people of Israel or the Jews must be separate from God's work with the Gentile church. So that's a whole big, massive topic that we could get into. Um, I would suggest reading Romans 9, chapters 9 through 11, um, if you're interested in starting to navigate what it looks like um, and if there's differences between the church and Israel. Um, very contentious, though. And then last, God's premise, promises, sorry, God's promises given to the physical Jews should be fulfilled literally. The restoration of the national state of Israel, restoration of physical temple, restoration of priestly system. Again, uh, I would reference Romans 9, chapters 9 through 11, if you want to learn more about that. Uh, I would argue just from that section that Paul, in his conversation about Israel, is talking about true Israel, that is a spiritual Israel, not necessarily an ethnic Israel. Um, but again, people have good arguments and, and would disagree with me on that. Um, so just some important aspects to this. Um, what you would call hermeneutics or interpretation is the the easier word. Hermeneutics is the fancy word that we like to use in seminary. Uh, you know, it's a literal approach. So there's a literal reading of Revelation 20. Um, there are two peoples of God, the Jews and the church, that are dealt with separately. Uh, and then there's what's called a rejection of replacement theology. That is that the church completely replaced Israel, um, and thus Israel has no, no place as a covenantal people anymore. So they reject that. Um, so those are some of the key aspects of the end and uh, how they kind of see that unfolding. I know I'm covering more than just um, the beginning of the end, if you will. Um, but it's important because this all kind of goes together. You can't really separate them out too far. Um, so moving on to historic premillennialism. Hey, if anything, 
if anything, you can get some good, strong, confusing phrases out of this, right? Dispensational premillennialism. That's an intense word or phrase, I should say. So historic premillennialism. Uh, so the major points of this view is that, one, the Lord will come again and establish the millennial kingdom on earth. So Revelation 20. Uh, two, the church's rapture will happen after the Great Tribulation and at the same time as the Lord's second coming. Um, so I think there's some strong uh, argument for that if you read Revelation 20 literally. And then they do. So Revelation 21 through 6 should be interpreted literally, not figuratively or symbolically. Uh, so it's important to know that some really prominent people have uh, endorsed this view. Um, a lot of the church fathers did. Um, of course, Spurgeon uh, did, Francis Schaeffer, uh, Craig Blomberg, and Sung Wook Chung. Both of those two men are professors at Denver Seminary. Uh, Craig Blomberg in particular is a very a uh, well-esteemed New Testament scholar, um, one of the top guys in the field. So, And then another important part of this, interpretation-wise, is um, the covenant. They, they kind of look at things from the covenants. So we, of course, have the covenant, um, the Adamic covenant, the Noahic, Noah, Noah, I can't say it, the covenant with Noah, <laughs> uh, the covenant with Abraham, then the covenant... Um, the Mosaic Covenant, that is the law um, in Moses, and then the Davidic Covenant, King David, and then the New Covenant, which we have in Christ. So they kind of see um, this God is moving from covenant to covenant. Um, so they argue more for that replacement theology, but there's some revisions and, and some nuances that we're not going to get into. Um, but they historic premillennialists essentially argue that the church has replaced Israel. Um, but what about amillennialism? Ah, amillennialism. Uh, so some of the major points with this. One, the millennium is the present reign of the souls of deceased believers with Christ in heaven. So that's this is already happening. Um, two, the binding of Satan has been in effect during the entire period of the church age, so they don't stick to a strict... Um, thousand-year view. I mean, ah, right? Ah, millennial, millennial, um, like atheist. Um, it means no, no millennium, basically, um, or no God, if you're thinking about atheism. Um, three, the, the bringing of the gospel to all nations and the conversion of the fullness of Israel will be completed before Christ's return. Uh, so what I mentioned earlier, where not everyone on earth has heard the gospel, they would say, you know, we got to get to work and do it. Um, and to, uh, I don't know if you could basically say that they're trying to force the return of Christ. Uh, you can you can email uh, you can email us or me at the I'm Wondering Podcast at Gmail and let me know what you think about that. Uh, four, uh, there will be the Great Tribulation and the rise of the Antichrist before the Second Coming. Um, five, the second coming of Christ is a single event. Um, so what they mean by that essentially is that like once Christ, sh- once Christ is here during what would be the millennium, if you ask me, but whatever, um, that then he stays. Um, some people would say Christ is here for the millennium, then he leaves and the last great event happens where the devil and the dragon are thrown into the lake of fire and then he fully returns. Um, but they would say once he's here, he is returned. Um, 
And they would also say there is a post-tribulation rapture. So like the historic premillennialist, um, they believe Christians will go through the great tribulation. We will not be spared from that. Um, and then we will be raptured after that. Um, so sort of the rationale is they're more of a symbolic uh, interpretation of Revelation 20, 1 through 6. Um, and there's a lot of spiritual interpretation of the Old Testament promises and prophecies. So they don't take those as literally as some people would. Uh, I won't get into too many critiques on that because, you know, we, we're, we're on a timeline here. Um, but I think it's fascinating. The last one is post-millennialism. Uh, so the major points for this. One, the millennium will be the golden age of history before the second coming of the Lord Jesus. So this is, you know, everything's perfect. Everything's great. Um, post-millennialists are notoriously known for being overly optimistic. Um, if you would ask my professor who taught this to me. <laughs> uh, so they think it will be the golden age of history. Uh, to the advancement of the kingdom and the progress of human history will bring the ideal age of the millennium before the second coming of Christ. So essentially, the argument would be that uh, we sort of lay the groundwork uh, for the millennium to come about. So it's already like things are going pretty well, um, and then the millennium will come. So pretty interesting view. Um, some of you know your classic... Uh, American theologians argued for this, Jonathan Edwards, John Wesley. Um, you know, it was a popular view amongst people in the Enlightenment period um, because they felt like there was this age of progress. We had America, which was this place of freedom. Um, so positive things happening, um, not the Enlightenment, but, you know, freedom in America. Um, so that was where their time and context and part of why they probably had a pretty optimistic view of things. Um, so of course, uh, some critiques maybe of this one is the Bible's view of history, uh, actually is kind of more pessimistic than the optimistic view of post-millennialism. Um, and also the Bible, you know, I would say the Bible teaches pretty clearly, uh, the Lord will come before the establishment of the millennium. It's not like we kind of usher in the millennium age and then Jesus shows up, um, which is sort of what the post-millennials are arguing. Um, so what do I personally believe? I'm sure you're dying to know. I was, I've was i been pretty honest up to this point with what I personally believe. Um, but I did this for a doctrinal examination. So I wrote a big, long paper on a bunch of different doctrines. Uh, then I, I was put before two professors um, who then sort of, you know, they didn't really grill me. They were great. They were really nice. Um asked some really hard questions, but were also very encouraging, and it was a great discussion. But part of that was articulating this, um, you know, the end, or what's called eschatology. And so this is just a chunk from my paper uh, that kind of gives you what I personally believe. Uh, so to be begin, I think Christ will return in his glorified body. Um, you can look up Revelation 1-7 and Matthew 16, 27. Uh, this will happen after the Great Tribulation, uh, again, reference Revelation 6 through 7, um, and at the beginning of the millennium, so Revelation 24, which we've talked about, uh, the millennium will include the rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 through 18, uh, and the devil being locked away in the abyss for a thousand years, Revelation 21 through 3, 
Once the millennium is over, Satan will be loosed and attempt a final assault, uh, as we see in Revelation 27 through 8. But that will be short-lived, and his army will be thrown into the lake of fire forever, including himself. So Revelation 29 through 10. And with the final defeat of Satan, the final judgment will begin. Uh, We didn't get into the final judgment. We could have, um, but that's a whole long thing in itself. Um, You know, all the dead will be raised. That's another thing. Um, So that's just sort of the, that's the small snippet. I could give you the rest of what I have, what I think happens with the final judgment and resurrection and all that. Um, But I'm going to save that for a different time uh, in a different place. Um, so that is where we're at. Ooh, I hope that was informative and not too boring. Maybe it was more like a lecture, uh, for that. I apologize. Um, but I think there are some really important things to talk about because at the end of the day, this conversation of is the end near has become, I think, kind of a distraction in the church at times. Uh, I think it's important. It needs to be talked about, but at the same time, uh, there's too many people out there that I've noticed who are trying to sort of read the tea leaves. They think they can figure it out. They think they know. Um, and listen, we all, we all want to be that person. We all want to be in the know, right? Like we love, we love feeling like we know something that other people don't. Um, but I would argue that's the wrong spirit as Christians. Um, the conversations we have about the end and, and what's going to happen and rapture and, and the millennium and Jesus's judgment and all of those sort of things, they can't be done in a spirit of, oh, I just want to know what it is. Um, what I think and what I hope um, is that this actually encourages evangelism in our lives, and it's not us kind of beating the drum from behind Bibles or from our computers, um, but it instead makes us go, oh, wow, the gospel still it still really needs to spread, and we have a part in that. So hopefully, I think we would we would be more in that camp when this topic comes up, or when people want to tell us about how they think the end is near. Um, that we would encourage and push them towards, hey, like if that's the case, like let's go out there, like let's evangelize, let's work the field, let's, you know, that's the important thing to take away from this is that um, there is an end that will be coming. But there is still plenty for us to do, um, faithfully do leading up to that. Um, So I'd encourage you, if you're really into the end times and you think this is the worst time in history or those sort of things, like just think about how that informs your evangelism. Um, Are you going out there and and sharing the gospel with people? Because, hey, the end's near. Uh, We don't want people to be condemned for eternity, Uh, let's get out there and share the gospel. So that would be my encouragement to all of you, to myself, uh, of course. Um, And then hopefully I think, um, I hope that we choose trust over kind of trying to read tea leaves again, like trying to figure out what it looks like. What is the end? What is that going to look like? Uh, You know, let's choose trust. Let's trust God. God is good. God will complete his work. That's going to be an amazing and awesome thing. I mean, Revelation 21, we see the new heavens and the new earth. Um, Those are amazing, incredible events that God will bring about. Um, But we, again, we don't know. And we could sit here and spend all of this time researching, debating, interpreting um, what the end looks like. But 
that's just, it's a distraction a lot of times. Again, like I think it really, it really pulls us away from the message of Jesus Christ crucified on a cross, being raised to life, defeating sin and death and, and bringing us salvation. Um, so let's choose trust, knowing that God is good and God will bring about all of this when he desires. Um, and that it's not our job to try and interpret and then kind of announce it to uh, all of our Christian friends um, to say, hey, I'm in the know. Uh, and then, you know, last, hopefully, I think, I hope we have the humility to realize that we really don't know the time, like I've said, and, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's not like we're not the most faithful Christians if we don't have an idea of when the end is coming. That's not what we're called to. We're called to again, a faithful way of life that proclaims the gospel, that that lives the gospel, that um, does all we can to glorify and worship God. That's, that is our part in all of this. Uh, our part is not to try and look up at the stars and tell you when the, when the end is coming. We know the end is coming. That's the affirmation we can all share. Um, but other than that, let's focus on being faithful people who proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world around us. Uh, and again, preaching to myself here, because uh, I struggle sometimes to, to really evangelize well. So, but yeah, that is, is the end near? Uh, pretty interesting topic, pretty interesting to do this podcast all by myself, <laughs> but that's okay. You know what? We roll with it. Jacob, if you're listening still, yeah, we miss you. Uh, hope you're doing well at Life Church down in Oklahoma, where the wind blows running down the plains, right? I don't know. I, I never get that right. I think he corrected me last time too. So, um, but yeah, hope everyone is doing well. I hope you enjoy the rest of your Friday or Saturday or Sunday or Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday, whenever you listen to this named all the days. So I, you know, could be any of those days. I don't know the day or hour. Hey, what do you know? Came back around. Uh, if you have any topics you want, um, us to discuss, uh, you can email us at the I'm wondering podcast at gmail.com. Let me know. Um, be happy to talk about any requests listeners have. Um, you know, if you could like, share, and subscribe, we're on Facebook. Um, that would be great. That's one of the best ways uh, for the podcast to grow. We're inching slowly up to 3,000 plays, which is just amazing. Um, again, didn't really ever expect this to go super far. Um, but it's exciting that, you know, just over about a year and we're almost at 3000 plays. So that's awesome. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, that's it for me, the talking head. Hey, it's, it's just about 30 minutes. What do you know? It's like a sermon, right? Uh, I will certainly have some guests on coming up. I think Lucas and I are going to get into a fierce debate about the reformation, which will be fun. Um, you know, and, and I got some other people that I'd really love to have on here that I'm, I'm going to work with. So anyways, uh, that is it for today. Uh, we will see if the end is near or not near who knows. Anyways, I hope you all have a wonderful day. Uh, and I am Dylan and this is the I'm wondering podcast. 